Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say that I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of these cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled The Dawn, an image I shot about 30 minutes before the sun rose. I had gotten to the site of the cross about an hour before the sun broke above the horizon line. There is a semicircle of glow above the horizon indicating where the sun will rise from. And the intensity of light and color changes as you view it away from the horizon line. It forms a semicircle shade of amber and then yellow and then it leads to light blue and then to dark blue. And why did I choose the name the dawn? One obvious reason is the image was captured as the dawn was shaping up. However, the verse that resonated with me is found in 2 Peter 1.19. We have the more sure word of prophecy, and you do well that you heed it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, and in the morning star arises in your hearts. When I first read this scripture, I thought of it in a collective application versus to an individual Christian. The first thought that came to me was the breadth and depth of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah to come. This was not a hard interpretation to make considering the first part of the verse. Quote, we also have the word of prophets as confirmed beyond doubt. Unquote. And prophecies pointing to not just the fulfillment of a previous covenant between God and man, but a holy new covenant, one that was witnessed and documented in the New Testament. Covenants that were like concentric circles spreading out in two distinct ways over time. One is the focus on each covenant in chronological order. The first was individual, Noah. Then tribal, Moses and the Hebrews, then nationally, David, King David, and then universal, Jesus for all mankind. This final covenant is mediated by Jesus through his crucifixion as the basis of the promise. Through his resurrection and retrieval of the keys to death, hell, and the grave, Jesus restores life for those who believe in and live for him. In other words, the new covenant is a fulfillment of all the covenants. However, each preceding covenant had involved two parties, God and the Hebrew people. 
meaning there are blessings or consequences for or from either party. In other words, it is or should be a two-way street. Each have obligations and each have potential rewards and potential consequences. We find it very interesting that after the Davidic covenant, the cycles of punishment increased. As the Hebrew people forgot about God and turned their back on him, breaking the covenant, they entered into a new phase of consequence, punishment, and then banishment from the land inherited to them by God. God allowed the promised land to be occupied by other people groups. And as the cycles of consequence increased, the Hebrew people were taken into captivity and resettled into other areas of the world. And not being a people in captivity in general, but the second is that the length of time increased. The last exile lasted over a thousand years, and it was a very dark time for the Jewish people to be sure. Generation after generation of new Hebrew kids brought up being taught about the blessings of being God's chosen people and his special covenants, and yet what they saw was a very bleak view of their present. It must have felt as if God had forgotten them. Or for some Jews, maybe they felt that there may not be a God at all. A very dark place and a bleak situation, collectively and individually. Isaiah, in verse 20 of the 8th chapter of his book, commented on this when he said, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. He was speaking to reports that some Hebrews were giving up in that they were going to mediums and fortune tellers instead of going to God in faith. Isaiah is saying that the people were doing this because they had given up hope that a dawn would be appearing soon. Isaiah, a prophet who knew a miraculous dawn was actually approaching, wrote in chapter 9 verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord, and as such not only saw from God that the Messiah was coming to the Hebrews, and not just to the Jews, but Isaiah saw that it was through the Jews to all of mankind. He said in chapter 60, verse 1 to 2, Arise, shine! For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. John the Baptist took up this cause of being a trailblazer prophet, meaning he began describing and defining the road that the Messiah was to come to the people on. It says in John chapter 1, 7-9, He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So even with the Old Testament prophets and a contemporary prophet in their midst, most all of the Jewish leaders chose to cover their eyes, the eyes of their soul, through centuries of fear, doubt, and preconceived notions. We gain insight into the level of this when the deceased Lazarus, the rich man, not the brother of Mary and Martha, in the parable who asked Abraham to be able to tell his brothers about the horrors and the pain of hell. 
We see the response in Luke 16, 29 to 31. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And Lazarus said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said back to Lazarus, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Wow. So not only did they not recognize that the dawn was coming, the majority of the Hebrews did not even recognize that the sun had already risen and that the morning had actually arrived. To me, it seemed that they would rather stay in the dark. 1 John 5.10 says it like this, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And in Ephesians 5.7, it says, it goes a bit further, Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Why would St. Paul say that? I believe because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, we read, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. A hat tip, it seems, to Isaiah's prophecy. Moreover, Jesus himself said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So even the religious leaders of that day convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus. But Jesus rose again with the keys, the death, hell, and the grave. What's the application for us? What does this mean to us individually? Well, I have always found it amazing that God has used the history of entire people groups to teach individuals through analogies, allegories, and insights into wisdom for godly living. When we take a step back, we realize that Moses was a very crucial figure, both in the Bible and in human history. What really impresses me is that this whole story, with Moses being saved in the raft, being brought into Pharaoh's house, Moses fleeing after the manslaughter or murder of the Egyptian taskmaster, the 40 years in the desert, the burning bush, the return to Egypt, the 10 plagues, especially the last one to kill all the firstborn in the entire nation, God's deliverance through the sign of the cross in lamb's blood on the door, the Passover, the passing through the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments on the tablets, Aaron's sinful fall into corporate carnality and idolatry, the second set of tablets, the 40 years of wandering in the desert, the creation of the law, priesthood, and new culture, and Moses being taken into heaven in his mortal body right before the Hebrews finally crossed over into the promised land was all an amazing foreshadowing about Jesus and his impact on humankind and for us as individuals. Wow. And more than that, so many lessons and insights can be gained for each of us in our spiritual journey through each of these subplots. In other words, while Moses was a savior for the Jews, a messianic character to be sure, Jesus was the savior of all mankind, including you. And then, after the Egypt was purged out of the people, God's chosen people, they fell away while in the promised land. It didn't take too long for them to, as we call it, backslide. <laughs> 
And when that happened, God's covering of blessing was removed, and the people were persecuted and or captured by other tribes or countries. They were occupied. Then God would raise up judges to save them, like Samson and Gideon. But then they would get happy again, content, fat and happy. Their bellies would enlarge again, and they would fall away once more. And then another judge would emerge and yet again save them. Then the people insulted God at one point and asked for a king so that they could be like the other nations. And after the failed experiment with Saul, David and his son take over and bring great prosperity to Israel. But eventually, the cycle we see in First and Second Judges reemerge, and the punishment seemed to last a little longer each time. As I mentioned earlier, the final one lasting almost 2,000 years until when Jesus is born into this world. The point is there are so many truths and lessons that do or can apply to the spiritual journey of all of us. But you can't learn these key lessons if you're not reading the Old Testament and the stories of the judges or the prophets. Some may say, well, that sounds nice, but nobody really knows what I'm going through. No one really understands how dark my night is. Really? Jesus asked God the Father to forgive the soldier as the soldier was nailing huge stakes into his wrist. I think he understands us humans very well, even the ones that turn their back on him. In John 1:11 through 13, it says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. So yes, in addition to feeling cold, hungry, tired, discouraged, encouraged, happy, sad, pain, grief, and yes, abandonment and rejection. And not only by man, as read about in this gospel, but also fully abandoned and decoupled from his heavenly father while on the cross, when all the sins of the world were laid upon him. Jesus came to understand anything that we could and can go through, and he can more relate than with everything you have gone through or can go through than anyone else. We have a lot of choices in life, but do we not have a choice in what we have to go through? We have to go through nights at the end of every day. Some nights, like the afternoon that we later refer to as Good Friday, must have seemed like an eternity to the disciples. Well, we know it lasted all day Saturday until the dawn of what we call now Easter morning, which brought a new day and a new era. The one thing that we all have in common is that all of us across our entire lives live out the same ratio meaning all of us have a certain balance of days to night. No matter how old you are, we have the same ratio of days to the same amount of nights. No one can say we have experienced more of a ratio of nights or that one night has lasted longer than its prescribed 12-hour shift. Yes, some nights are more uneventful than others, and some nights are more intense or more painful than others. But the same can be said about the days. Some days are better than others. But why is it that when people go through hard times, they relate it to being in the dark? Why do they describe it as waiting for the light of the new dawn to break the dark problem that seems to linger? Obviously, it's a metaphor, not really about the 360-degree spin of our planet every day. It has to do with finding the balance of life in general. But more importantly, being spiritually and emotionally balanced. There's an Asian proverb that says we only have health because there is sickness. We only have success because there is poverty. 
We only have happiness because there is sadness. But as a believer, we can understand deeper that a perpetual life of plentifulness is unrealistic, that we grow because of the hard times we overcome, and that no matter, we need to stand. The Bible says doing all you can do to stand, stand. Meaning keep your faith, realizing God's power is made perfect in weakness. Oftentimes it is the toughest events, the hardest scenarios, the most bleak situations that happens to us, that we live through, that makes us grow and become better people and better Christians. And since we're not really talking about the light of the sun as the earth spins, but the spiritual light of our Savior, what does Jesus say to encourage us? to encourage all of us to stand till the end. Well, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen it says, where Jesus said, I am the bright morning star. To me, this is a reference to Venus, a planet that looks like the brightest star in the sky, bright enough to be seen in the daylight. Well, what can we do as believers to get more of the light of Jesus and thus more of God's grace? Well, as a photographer, I can tell you that there are really only three ways to achieve more light in the imagery creation process. One is to take a longer exposure, but in most low-light situations, you will not be able to hand-hold the camera without obtaining a blurry shot. You can bump up your sensitivity. We call that the ISO rating. You can bump up the sensitivity of the sensor, but the more you do that, you increase the propensity of a higher grain, spottiness, or sometimes too much contrast. And the third is that you open up your aperture, meaning you increase the diameter of the hole that lets the light in. Opening up the aperture not only lets more light in, but it constrains the subject in focus, blowing out of focus all of the surrounding area that could compete for your visual attention around the subject that you want your viewers to lock into. So we want our focus to be on Jesus. Therefore, open your aperture to get a clear picture of what God is showing you and to lock in on what God wants you to focus on. How? Simple. By reading the Bible more. By praying more. The Bible says the Word of God is a lamp for your feet, a flashlight to see down the dark road you're traversing. So read the Bible to enlarge the aperture setting of your spirit. Also pray as God can introduce Bible scriptures into your mind and soul as you wait on God in a prayer session. The more of the Bible you read, the more God can pop into your head something that you've read before. Now, I've heard Chuck Swindoll quoted as saying, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Being grounded through Bible reading and prayer increases the ratio of wise reactions, divine reactions in any situation. And the natural flow of our lives, like most everything we observe in nature, is built on balance, meaning life will never be only about positive, soaking in the warmth of the sun. We are built, we are designed, we are meant to go through the darkness of night once per day. Through all the days and through all the years, you live on this wonderful planet. And the seasons of the years are similar to the cycles of a day. Just as in the spring, we have to face the Ides of March, those incredibly windy seasons that bring both destruction and health to trees and shrubs. Yes, the wind tears off the dead and weak branches, but this natural pruning makes for healthier and more fruitful trees during the harvest time of summer. Moreover, 
The cold and the storms of fall strip the leaves off the tree, leaving each limb naked and exposed. But where do all those leaves from the tree go? Well, sure, some blow away, but most settle around the tree, making a cozy blanket, keeping the roots warm during the coldest times of the year. Then what happens? Well, the carbon-based blanket decomposes, integrates with the soil, and becomes food to the roots, as the tree needs that nourishment to make a host of new leaves and fruit on the branches. None of this would happen if the tree was stuck in perpetual spring. The point is, we look forward and enjoy the new life of spring because we made it through the dark and freezing winter. Individually, every day we wake up is like a little micro-resurrection in each of our lives. That is why it is so essential to not let the sun go down on your wrath, or on your guilt, or on your stress, or on your fears of tomorrow. Why? Because we are encouraged. Do not worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. Let God provide for you. Let God provide for your needs as you go through the dark night. And let God meet your needs of the next day. Focus on the relationship with God and not the size or scope of your problems. Simply let the light shine. Not just during the day when things are going good, but I believe that the light of the Lord shines even brighter the darker it is. Remember, dark is not the opposite of light. It is the absence of light. Now, ratios like the 50-50% of day to night reveal what expression about harmony, balance, stability are all about. Everything that is part of our existence is built on balance. Light from our sun, confirmed by scientists to be a particle and a wave. And as a wave, what is it doing? A wave oscillates between polarities, meaning the wave travels up to positive and down to negative and up to positive and negative over and over and over again. What can we learn from the central truth of our universe and the dimension we live in? Well, one thing I learned long ago is that we should not get too complacent when things are good and not get too discouraged when things are bad. And at the same time, to be in alignment with Christ. To me, this means to live within the positive and negative aspects of life. Not chasing the highs or trying to outrun the lows. Expecting and accepting with the high and the low at the same time removes you from potential disappointment, discouragement, and even illusionment. In other words, your faith, not just your belief, but a knowing Listen, a knowing that God exists, that his risen Son exists, and that the Holy Spirit that Jesus left behind for us exists. This knowing is the tool that allows you to calibrate or regulate your grounding in God, and not to oscillate with the wave, but live firmly in the in-between. A knowing that God is involved in the daily events of your life, a knowing that night has a prescribed length, and knowing that the dawn is coming. This keeps you in peace, even in the most intense situations. But if you feel overwhelmed, burning the candle at both ends, I suggest you seek rebalance. Better to say to yourself, let go and let God. One should create, in the time allowed for that day, a regulation for their mind, body, and spirit by making time for prayer and reading the Bible, and then trusting that God will help provide for your needs. Remember, this balance and knowing is biblical. Paul said in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, 
and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And we can add, whether sleepy or rested. So be humble. Remember, you are mortal. All you have and all you are trying to achieve will pass away. But the balance of day and night will continue long after you are gone. So instead of fighting with it, go with it. Accept the balance God prescribed and not striving after your own preconceived notions of what situations should be or trying to control people to your will. When you are truly on the road of righteousness, which runs through the kingdom of heaven, then you will have a countenance that is better than any poker face. People will not just see, but they will feel his peace from you. When circumstances are great, you are in peace. When a situation is really bad, you are still in God's perfect peace. What I'm saying is that the dawn we seek is found in dying to yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 10:39, If you lose your life, you will find it. This is where true spiritual balance comes from. When you really live by faith and you really allow God to harmonize your life, then you will find that power that we need or that power that we read about in the lives of the early church and the saints, it is a full flowing in the prayerful lifestyle of not my will, but yours be done. This is to me what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ. If you are right behind him, are you not in the shadow of Christ and in the covering of his blessing and the covering of his mercy? And if I am willing to do all that, and if you are willing to do that, then you are also willing to sacrifice your life as Jesus did. And if you do sacrifice your life with and in Christ, then you're also able to share in the supernatural, subatomic, and electromagnetic power that raised Jesus from the grave. Rising with Jesus means that you partake in the Easter morning dawn every day. By giving up all your strength and natural power, you receive a higher divinity power. That is, the light that we are to let shine to all those we interface with. Consider Luke 1.78, which says, Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Meaning the grace of God is new every dawn. Every day brings the possibility of blessings from and in the right relationship with God. There is an inspirational phrase by G. Morgan Campbell providing hope of an approaching dawn through the long dark night which says, Nobody who has truly seen the cross of Christ can ever speak of hopeless cases. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this paradigm, in this perspective? If not, I suggest you meditate on the cross and its meaning. Imitate Christ and become a shadow of the cross as you die to yourself. Today, doing so removes doubt and fear and pain and provides the faith and joy needed to endure every trial, the strength to sacrifice whatever you are called to, as Jesus did, for the kingdom of God. Go, be that shadow of Christ today. And if you are not a Christian yet, then I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you. Contemplate what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like the dawn, along with other verse then 
Check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if you'd like to hear other Cross products, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T.com.